Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Buddy. Just a quick shout out to The Rec for hosting this podcast each week. The Rec, way more than a bowling alley. By the way, you should bring your family by. It's awesome here. We drop a new podcast every Friday morning with a new story that will impact someone. We hope that someone is you. Thank you to all the listeners each week who take the time to hear the stories of our guests. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, give us a review, and share the podcast with your friends, family, and on your favorite social media platform. We want to get these messages out to the people and impact the world one testimony at a time. This morning, I'm excited and grateful to introduce my guest, Jennifer Jacobs. Welcome, Jennifer. Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. How are you? Good. It's Friday morning. And it was really foggy out. I don't know if you noticed the fog lately. It feels like fall, feels doesn't like it? Fall. I love it. I, you love fall. I do. It's my favorite season. Why? I don't know. Um, probably because it's just bringing in the cozy part mm. of where we live in Oregon. And I got the fire going and yeah. I get to go back to soups and stews yeah. in the crock pot. You come yeah. home from work and the house smells like chili. And it's just, I don't know, it's football's on and, you know, it's great. Football, food, family, what, what, what's not to love? I love it. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. Well, fall is my favorite time of year as well. Why? Great question. The, the change of the season, I mean, I love summer, but fall was um, football, hunting, um, you know, growing up hunting with my dad and uh, just a lot of fun. I just love the trees changing colors. I don't know. It's just like you, you go outside and like today or even yesterday, if you notice, one day it was raining earlier this week, like crazy and then the next day it's completely blue sky it's 65 degrees it's perfect out so it's wonderful i I just like i like blue sky i don't need a 100 degree temperature 65 to 75 is perfect so we're typical oregonians yeah yeah yeah. i think i like the change i can the energy change in the seasons you can really start to feel it when it makes that shift and i like i like all the seasons fall just happens to be my favorite but i just like to feel that shift Mm. You like change. I do. Okay. Most people don't like change, but this is good. <laughs> I like change too. So this is going to be fun. Well, hey, let me let me just introduce you real quick. Just tell the world about you a little bit. Uh, I'm going to read what you wrote, and I'm going to ask a few more questions, if that's okay. Sure. So I, I love this. He's like, okay, I'm going to phone a friend and just, you know, learn more about myself. because, And that's really a good thing to do. Is But here's what you wrote. Uh, I've been in the mortgage industry for 28 years. That's cool. I've been research-minded in uh, in a way that makes me rather unique. One could call me the queen rabbit holes. The queen of rabbit holes. The queen yes. of rabbit holes. Uh, I three. Uh, I deal with challenges by teaching and coaching myself and other others uh, how people get through it. And I spent the last thirty-five years studying and teaching momentum and how it affects our lives. That's gonna be an interesting part of our conversation. I like momentum too. This is cool. Uh, you were a host on a crypto radio show for three years. What was that called? It was called Steam It, and the radio was MSP Waves Radio. But this was your show. Yeah. Okay. Had a, had a two-hour show called Hacking Mental Performance with Whip Girl. Okay. W-I-P, there's no H in my whip. Okay. <laughs> Love that. So are, does that mean you're a crypto person? Um, I dabble. You dabble? Yeah. What's your platform that you dabble on? 
Um, I'll, I'm just a typical Bitcoin, Dogecoin a little bit, yeah, but, yeah. but, you know, in and out of Bitcoin, I find, I find if you just, you know, add a hundred bucks a month to, yeah. to your Bitcoin, Bitcoin portfolio, yeah. it'll get you where you want to go. I like that. Do you do it on Coinbase? I do. Okay. You find that's pretty safe? As safe as they can be. <laughs> and, and do you have a cold wallet and all that? Oh yeah. That's, uh, well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> okay. And number five, you have a tremendous passion and love for life that seems to create a high energy presence. And that's probably going to be a big part of our story is why. So I'll come back to that later. You have two boys, 25 and 19. Yes. Young men. Yes, they're wonderful. But they're still mom's boys. Oh, God, yes. I love them so much. And do they live locally? They do. Uh, My youngest is at OSU campus right now. He'll be. Come on. Yep, that's right. He's his second year studying bioengineering. And my son is finishing up Arizona State University online. And he is a coach for Willamette University on the defense. Gotcha. He goes to Arizona State University. Does he work at Starbucks? No, he works at Willamette University. Oh, he does. He does that full time. <laughs> yeah, okay. and goes to school full time. And he's also a paramedic. So he's a busy guy. He is. Okay. Uh, I'm a magnet to challenges and joy taking on the things that most people won't. That probably has to do with your lending background. Probably hard loans and stuff. And then you spent five years serving the homeless under Marion Bridge. Yes. Well, cool. Well, let's just dive in a little bit. And find out what makes you tick. Well, let's do that. Because I'm, uh, you and I had a uh, me, you, and Scott Suckling met one day, what a month ago. Yes, Scott and, Suckling and is wonderful with W right. World World Financial Group. Yep, uh-huh. WFG. Mm-hmm. Ed Milet, I love that guy too. Mm, yes, one of my faves. Yeah. So, you, and you told me a little bit of your story, and which was really awesome. But I want you to really kind of uh, develop that, but kind of. Walk us through, where were you born? Where were you raised? Okay. Uh, what was your family like growing up? Mm-hmm. And then we'll get to where you're at today. Sure. I was born right in Salem, Oregon, um, just East Salem kind of country area yeah. out there. And mom was a stay-at-home mom until I was about 13. Dad worked in a warehouse, so it was we had just enough money. Uh-huh. Um, not Never more than we needed. I started picking berries when I was 10 years old. Mom did this great thing with me where she was going to teach me responsibility, and she was in her 40s, and I was like 10, 11. And we would go to the store, and we would pick out a sweater. And then we'd go pick berries all day until I'd earned enough to get that sweater. And then we'd come home, we'd bleach all the stains off of our hands, and we'd go down to the Lancaster Mall and get the sweater and pick out the next thing. And then out to the berry fields the next morning, picking for that pair of jeans. And we'd stay until we had that je- the pair it's, of jeans. The word I hear is leverage. Did she leverage you to, to go, hey, this is what you want. Cool. Now let's go work for it. Actually, I was driving it. I'm the one who wanted to go, but I was too young and they wouldn't let me out there by myself. So I talked her into it. Okay. (laughs) But she had the idea of picking out some of, uh, she had this tangible, tangible goals are really important to her and then not waiting, realizing that goal that very night and setting up the next goal. Huge, huge. Probably set me up for a lot of success. I bet. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So came through just, you know. High school. I became a loan officer when I was 20. Mm-hmm. And you're 29. I'm um, <laughs> 49, but yes, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Not afraid of that number. Yeah, That's a yeah, good yeah, number. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I closed my first loan and my boss took me to a bar and bought me a milk because I came up in that crazy mortgage mentality, a very male-dominated world. Yeah. And so, yeah, I earned every yeah. every stripe. I loved it. It was great. It was great. And, you know, nobody goes to school and says, I'm going to become a loan officer when yeah. I grow up. There's always some special little story that makes that, you know, manifest in your life. And so I was actually supposed to be at State Farm Insurance 
processing loans on life insurance policies. And um, my division was going to be transferred. Mm -hmm. So I had a, a friend in the cubicle, it was cubicle land, in the cubicle right ahead of me, and she leans over my cubicle, and she was just the most wonderful woman. Mm. And I would have done anything in the world for her. And she says, I got to go meet my cousin in the morning, and he's got some business opportunity, and I don't want to go. But if you go with me, it might be bearable, and I'll buy you breakfast afterwards. So 6 o'clock in the morning, I show up, and it was a company called Mortgage Market, which was the founding company for Pacific Residential. Yeah. And so I sat. I know the company well. Yeah, I sat and listened to um, this man describe the mortgage process. And we leave about twenty minutes later. And Sharon's kicking rocks on the way out. She's like, "I can't believe he thought that was going to be a something I'd be interested in." And she just glances over at me and she goes, "Oh." It's you. That's what you need to do. And so that sent me off on a wild trajectory. Who was that person? You remember who? Todd Montgomery. Todd Montgomery. Yeah. He was one of the original branch managers for Salem. And so I went back to State Farm and called my husband and said, it's 100% commissioned and I really want to do this, but it's a two week interview. And if I don't get the job at the end of two weeks, then I just got to go get another job yeah. and my job's moving anyway. So this sounds great. And he said a very important thing. He said, what can I do? You're going to do it. Sounds like he goes, but I think you're making the biggest mistake of your life. And so I had something to prove right out of the gate. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> That'll put a fire in now, your that belly. Did fire you up. A oh my bit. gosh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I had, I had to learn it fast and yeah. become great. And I became a manager in nine months. So it became really, it became very, wow. uh, it worked out well. So did you work at Mortgage Market? I did for seven years. For seven years? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. And then I had a great realtor base. And within two months, mm-hmm. all of my realtors either moved away, retired, and a couple of them actually passed away. Oh, no. And I was going to have to start all over again and build a referral base all over again. And I was just overwhelmed by that. And a friend of mine went to U.S. Bank and they paid a salary of yeah. $1,700 a month. And I felt like, oh my, I hadn't, there was no such thing back then, yeah, right? You yeah. were straight commissioned. So I made the jump to U.S. Bank and I took a position in Vancouver, drove from Kaiser to Vancouver for a year mm. and then became a sales manager after a year and five years later, a regional manager and stayed there for a total of about 12 years. So it was yeah. great. And I brought a broker mentality to the bank that's, and we did crazy fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's it the only was, way to do it. It was awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, Take me back a little bit because we're going to weave into the, you know, we're going to bring the mortgage industry into this because I know you have a great journey there. And, um, but as a little girl, you grew up and you had some medical challenges or something. I did. Remind me what yeah, that was about. Yeah, I, I was the... The tomboy who wanted to be in the middle of all of it, but I would randomly get sick, like flu-like symptoms. Mm. And if I ate past six o'clock at night, I would throw up every night. And it was just this thing. We Everybody said, oh, she'll grow out of it. There was no name for what I had. Mm. Um, and it would, it carried on through every, everything. It yeah. was, but, but you can't, you can't. You have to, you have to put that in the background, right? Mm-hmm. So, because kids don't do sick, like you're busy and you're in school and you know you're excelling, and there's right. no time for sickness. And same with business, there's yeah. no time for that. My family, we had no name for it. My family nicknamed it Dipucus of the Pluck. 
And that's what I had. Okay. Because <laughs> there was no diagnosis. There was no wow. nothing until I became 40. Then um, things changed. The market changed. The crash of 2008 hit. Okay. And I was I had a huge team at U.S. Yeah. Bank. Yeah. And I had administrative as well as the sales team. And I was going to save them because we didn't know what we didn't know back yeah. then. And so I decided that if I worked 17 or 18 hours a day and never took a day off, and if I just gave it absolutely everything that I was, that I would help this team get through this because I had trained all these people and brought all these people yeah. on and brought them into this awesome you know, industry and then it was collapsing and dis disintegrating on itself and mm. I felt responsible. Mm. So when you throw your life out of balance in a really major way like that and you have an underlying disease, it will rear its ugly head and almost take you out. Wow. And that's, that's what happened to me. So I had to take some time off. And that's when I um, got really sick. We still didn't have a diagnosis, but I went down to about 88 pounds. And I was, I was like sinew. And you, were, you were 40 at this time. 40. Yeah, I was actually about, yeah, I was actually about 38. I went through a couple of years of yeah, trying to figure this yeah. out. And so at 40... I finally get to a point where it looks like I'm not going to make it. I'm 88 pounds. I'm just like bones and sinew with, I was like a little mini skin suit. I just, you wouldn't even recognize me. The only thing that sounded like me was my voice. voice. Otherwise, you know, I just was a, a shell of a human being. Mm -hmm. And be, you know, it's funny when you don't know what's wrong with you, you um, are constantly focused on going down rabbit holes of what it, what, what this could be. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. I should be tested for this. And you go through all the doctors and have all these horrendous tests, right? And still no answers. And then they tell you things like it's all in your head. And so at 40, I finally got to a, a place where I ate a couple bites of uh, Spumoni ice cream in a restaurant. I didn't really eat much, but I just, it sounded so good. So I just stole a couple bites off my, and I, I was in the hospital immediately, like couldn't get from the restaurant to the hospital fast enough. And I mm. was just convinced, must be gallbladder because they call it the ice cream test. Uh -huh. When you get really sick and your gallbladder is not functioning and you have especially ice cream, it will just, you know, set it off. So mm. I thought, well, that I have videos of me in the hospital saying it must be gallbladder. And two weeks later, we got the diagnosis of gastroparesis, mm -hmm. which is – it just means paralyzed belly. But it's relevant today because mm. all of the diabetic shots, the you know, the weight loss shots that everybody are on, it has a, a side effect of gastroparesis. So these women and men who are on this – these medications and all of a sudden their digestive system is changing and they're in major pain and they're really sick and they it's it's a true nightmare and just because you get off the medicine yeah. doesn't mean that your belly is automatically going to wake back up again so you could be stuck with this forever yeah. or not it just it's it's very interesting it goes person by person but right. yeah i was trucking through life really putting this on the back burner if you knew me you'd never know i was sick um you just wouldn't know it until i started to get started to kind of take over my life and then i would sit at my desk with a heating pad on my belly because there was just so much localized mm. pain all the time so yeah. i i started giving up little hints that i wasn't doing well towards the end but for the majority of my life and career yeah i just i just found ways to overcome it and focus on other areas there was a point where you in the when we previously talked where you're in your bathroom and your kids come home or something 
Yeah, tell, I tell right, right before I ended up in the hospital, I was I was um, well, I'd been in and out actually of the hospital. You kind of run make the rounds right when you're when you're when you're not thriving anymore and your body's starting to shut down. Yeah. There's no way you can end up in the hospital with stuff, and so. What I was told was, you're not eating, you're not thriving in this world anymore, so it's feeding tube, and then it's death. And I wasn't about to go down that that rabbit hole of feeding tubes and death, because I was so young, and I had these two kids that were 14 and 8 at the time, and yet I was on the brink of death, and I knew it, because... You can fight and push and fight and push, but at some point you're going to find yourself on the bathroom floor with your lungs rattling and your heart beating through your whole – I mean, you Mm. can't hear anything other than your heartbeat. And I was trying to stack myself up on these floor mats in the bathroom right in between where the tub and, you know, the wall is. And I was trying to figure out, okay, my kids are going to come home. And it was evident to me I absolutely was not going to make it. I mean, it – they told me this was probably going to happen. They had told me to get my affairs in order. I was stubborn and wasn't wasn't taking it that seriously mm-hmm. until that moment where I realized, okay, this is actually happening. And, right mm-hmm. and I knew that my kids were going to come home and they were going to find me dead on the floor. And I was trying to figure out what was the right way to lay there so that it didn't look like I was struggling when I died. Like I just drifted off on the floor. Mm. And in and I was at the time you go through a lot when that yeah. when that's happening, you're in a different headspace, right? And yeah. I was I was on the floor kind of propped into the crack between the wall and the where, where the tub met and I um was just randomly staring up at this cactus that I had sitting on the side of my bathtub and I asked a question that I had never asked before. And the question in my mind was, is there a version of me that is not sick? Because I was born this way. I don't know what well is. I just have never experienced well. I just experience, you know, whistle while you work, grind your way through it and smile, and you don't share that kind of stuff, right? And so I asked the question, is there a version of me that isn't sick? And it was such a profound moment of awareness for me. It was like, my world opened up and I went from perceiving life through my own lens Hmm. to a different perception of seeing me laying on the floor and preparing to meet God literally I was I was having all those conversations and asking all those really tough questions was I enough did I do enough was mm. I a good enough mom was yeah. I you know what could I have done differently and in that moment when when everything just kind of opens up, it was just a resounding, yes, there is a version of you that isn't sick. And it was like I had just this block of internal knowing that dropped into my body and said, you can set this down anytime and choose to be well. You can. Wow. And that, you know, I think that's a big thing with momentum is I had this momentum of being sick and, yes, hiding it from yeah. the general population because who wants to be around a sick person? Yeah. And I didn't want my kids to feel like their mom was always sick. So I was just always really up. And I, 
it was easier to slide into that mindset than mm-hmm. to focus on sick. Because when you focus on sick, you get sicker. It's just how it is. But I That's an interesting concept right there. You I, get yeah. more of what you focus on. You really do. Okay. And so when you focus into your illness, you get more of the illness, right? But in that moment, I had this knowing that I could set that momentum down and I could choose to step into wellness. And I just had no idea how to do it, but it sent me to Life Source and five or six different books. And I read those books in record time in about mm. 24 hours and read all about some ways that could maybe help my belly wake up and found a book. It was a bone broth book. I wish okay. the name was coming to me right away. Um, and and so I got on some organic bone broth and within two weeks, something woke up. I, I, was, I would take a tablespoon of bone broth and a tablespoon of cream of rice cereal. And that is how I got myself back. And it was once a day. It mm. was all I could process was mm. just a tablespoon of each once a day. And then two or three days later, a couple tablespoons. And I just started working my way towards living again. It yeah. was it was a profound um, and really glorious. Uh, I learned more about myself in those moments, I think, than I've ever learned. Because you truly can set momentum down in one direction and you can pick up a new momentum. But it's a it, you have to mentally you have to make that decision. Hmm. And instead of focusing into what was wrong, I was focusing, I changed my focus into what would a healthy person do, feel, how would they behave, how would they think? And that immediate knowing in my brain was, I can figure this out and I'm going to be just fine. And yeah, I might not feel great today, but tomorrow Hmm. could be better. And just because I don't feel great today doesn't mean I got to think about it. And so, wow, yeah. The, The power of a question, you know. How is there any part of me that is well? That's just a question. It and is. then you, it, it helped you transition your focus from a negative to a, well, there's hope. Well, there's a positive. Yes. And I believe, I've always believed that from that moment, the belief system found its way into my soul that new questions bring new energy. And so that Mm. led me on to, okay, what would a healthy person do today? What would a healthy person, what kind of conversations would they have? What kind of food would they eat? How would they walk? They wouldn't walk like they were broken. They would walk with head up, shoulders back, lots of energy, a bounce in your step. And Mm. I literally just, you know, they... They say fake it till you make it, mm-hmm. right? But I learned that you have to make your insides match your outsides when you're faking it because you can fake it till you make it, but you don't really get any momentum going. You're just going through the motions, right? Yeah. And on the inside, you're thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? And on the outside, you're smiling. Yeah. But but when you get the belief system down that the inside truly is matching the outside, that's when momentum starts to build and that's when everything changes. That's awesome. So momentum, is that where you learned the word? I mean, what what momentum means to you? Was it at that moment Well, you begin to grow? I mean, I'd always been associated with it because I had my parents, um, even though they were together a long time, they weren't necessarily happily married. So Mm. when I was 14 years old, my first job was at the Salem Gun Club because I have a very country family. Yeah, yeah. And so I spent eight years at the Salem Gun Club. But at 14 years old, I went to work at the gun club so that I could buy those late night when Anthony Robbins was on at 11 o'clock at night on the weird channels. Yep. I I was the kid saying, Mom, I've got the money. Just call in the credit card. And then Mom and I would listen to Tony Robbins before school in the morning because she was struggling. And I 
I just immediately, as a kid, saw this and thought, okay, there's something I can learn about. Yeah. And so, so I was, you know, in that world and kind of raised myself with that sort of a mindset, but I didn't embody it. I didn't really, you know, epitomize and walk the walk of what momentum actually meant moment by moment and breath by breath in my life. So mm. that's deep. It is. It, it's, and it's, it's one so thing fun. to, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I say this a lot, you know, as a parent, you know, you say your kids do as I say, not as I do, but in a way that's hypocrisy and maybe not walking the walk is a form of hypocrisy on the inside doesn't believe what the outside showing. Yes. And in that there's like conflict. Yeah. And resistance. And resistance. And you can't build momentum and really start going with it because you don't believe in what's happening on the outside. And it feels like you're just faking it. And that, so the term fake it to make it, you know, a lot of people have, have made a lot of money using that term. And it's, it's, it's viable if you can make the insides match the mm, outsides. But until you. that happens, you can get resistance going. And although you're acting like everything's great on the outside, you're not really accomplishing what you want to accomplish. And I had two boys to raise. Yeah, This wasn't about trying to figure this out. This was, no, I am living and I will figure this out mm. in a way that's perfect for me. And in doing that, when I take some time off from mortgage, because I literally couldn't do it anymore, yeah. I instinctively knew that if I could just get my focus off from all this horrible stuff that was happening in my body, that I would probably benefit from that. And so I was coming back from the coast one weekend. We would go for a lot of drives because I couldn't do much else. But when I got really sick, I could roll the window down in the winter and stick my head out the window and get the cold air and mm -hmm. kind of get past moments of you know extreme pain. And mm -hmm. it was just icky. And so I, I find that if I can coach my way through things, whether, and, and a lot of times I'm coaching myself, but then it just kind of starts oozing out of me. And so radio station opportunities came up at that time, but I was coming back from the coast and I saw my mom with her church group feeding the homeless underneath the Marion Street Bridge here in Salem. And the whole way, I, I live in Kaiser, came off the on the off-ramp there, I saw her, and she, it was November, and she does not like to be cold, and she was down there. And I called her the next morning, and I said, um, I want to do that, and I know that you do this on Sundays, and I want to do this on Wednesdays. Will you help me? Well, Mom and I are the dynamic duo, mm -hmm. so of course. And so... That afternoon, it was a Tuesday afternoon after I kind of made these arrangements with mom, I thought, well, I'm not really sure how to do this. So I go down to the bridge and there's this woman in the park sitting cross-legged on the ground, just, you know, in a daze like a lot of them are. Mm -hmm. And I walked up to her and I said, so if someone were to bring some food down here, what would be a good time to do that? And she kind of looked at me like, um, well, sometimes there'll be some bread or something down here about five o'clock. Someone will drop some rolls or some leftover pizza off. And I said, okay, I'll see you tomorrow at five o'clock. And I turned and I walked away and I must have looked like I was a woman on a mission because she yelled after me and she goes, hey, are you really going to do this? And I said, I'll see you tomorrow at five o'clock. And her name was Christine. And so the next day, what do you what do you bring? Right. There was no arches. There was none of that back then. It was just I pulled my Denali in underneath the bridge and I pulled out a little table and I had a tater tot casserole and a mm pan of brownies because I wasn't sure what to cook. And mom and I were there and Christine was the first one in line. And she was just waiting to see if I actually showed up. And that five years that I spent two Wednesdays a month under the bridge, 
I would cook on or I would shop on Monday. I would start cooking Tuesday, finish cooking on Wednesday, and then clean up the mess on Thursday. And that was four days of not thinking about being sick. Mm. And food is my love language. Yeah. It's funny how food, I couldn't eat it, but I could cook it. Yeah. I couldn't eat anything. I couldn't try anything. Oh. Couldn't I could smell it. I could, you know, go lay down on the on the kitchen floor while stuff was cooking because I was so sick in the process. But but all I was focused on was the love that I was going to share with these people. Mm. And a lot of them hadn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of meals back then. And so they were really hungry. And there were stories that came out of that that you you can't focus on yourself when you're doing that. When you're mm. when you're giving that much love and you're scooping meatballs and stew and mac and cheese and all this delicious food that you made from your heart, yeah. you know, and I got my food handler's license and all the stuff just to make sure I was, you know, totally up to snuff. But that those moments, I'll never forget them as long as I mm. live. Those people learned how to do, they learned how to survive things that I couldn't. It made my situation seem paltry. Yeah. It just did. Like, it gave can, perspective to your situation. Well, and the interesting thing was, is there's a lot of drug issues. Yep. And heroin happens to be one of those drugs that kills your belly. And so it creates gastroparesis in a lot of the people underneath the bridge. They will get to a point where they're so thin, their bellies no longer work. And so here I was feeding people who had the same disease I had, only I was born with it. And they unfortunately had enough substance in their body to create that. So it was quite the oxymoron for me. Mm. And so I was infusing bone broth into everything underneath yeah. the bridge, trying to get them healthy again. And they didn't know that, but I knew. You and knew. that's what mattered. And it almost seems kind of selfish when I look back on it now because I didn't solve any problems under the bridge. There's homeless problems. I can drive down the road now and still see people yeah. carrying the same blankets that I fed years and years ago. But for me personally, it changed my life. And I really feel that that helped me get well because mm. four days a week, I was focused on giving love instead of focused on all the stuff that was going wrong. So, so you asked yourself a question. That changed the direction that you were going. It created momentum. Yeah. And you made decisions to only ask the question, what would a, a, a healthy person do? But love is what sustained all that is what it sounds like. 100%. You went to serve people, but in that, it changed you. Well, I had to, you know, you have to flow love. Whether you flow it to yourself, you flow it to someone else, it doesn't matter. They say giving a gift sometimes feels better than receiving, right? Well, I was giving my love just yep. freely just and you have to get in the frequency of love and yep. you have to be thinking about these people that you're cooking for and you have to you have to create that momentum right and sustain it for four days during mm -hmm. the week mm -hmm. and in doing that you can't feel love and be resentful about a health issue you can't flow and feel authentic love and be angry because you don't feel well or mm. you know be just feeling like a victim mm. i don't i don't succumb to victim thinking ever just because it's not a match to who i am yeah. but but you you can't focus on feeling bad and flow love at the same time so i chose to flow love. It's like, it's like you can't uh, be angry and smile. That's right. I mean, like, uh, I'm angry. I'm not going to smile. I, I, I can't. Not an authentic smile. Right. Yeah, no. Not an authentic smile. Yeah. This was great. This is quite a story. So the, the question for you is, where does God come into your life? You know, did you know God early on? And how have you developed your uh, relationship with Christ mm -hmm. through this process. How does he fit in this whole story? 
Well, I started as a Catholic. I had an uncle that was a priest. And so I was an altar girl when they allowed girls to be altar girls. And so that was um, always very present in my life. And when you have a priest in the family and you have holidays, the priest is always running late. My uncle was always running late because he was helping at the church. And we would also serve at the church. And so that became, you know, just kind of part of who I was. But my mom went on kind of a spiritual journey. She went from Catholic and met a husband and and became a Seventh-day Adventist, which was a great move for her. And she really learned her Bible and got a fantastic relationship with the Lord. I think when you get sick to a place where you think you're going to be meeting the Lord soon, mm-hmm. um, that opens up that conversation pretty significantly. And I've always been a believer, but I've I wouldn't say that I um, that every step was with Jesus right next to me mm-hmm. until I realized that I couldn't do it without Him. Without it, this this was way bigger than me. When I asked the question, "Is there a version of me that's ever been healthy?" The resounding answers that the blocks of thought were that were just dropped into my soul was that I was such a small part of the whole. And my perception changed in a way that it was like, and I, I used to talk on my radio shows, it's like I climbed the light pole outside my house and I looked down on this little bitty person who was laying on the floor trying to live and talking to God and asking these questions and trying to understand how to become different because I didn't know anything other than just being sick and grinding through and whistle while you work and hi-ho, hi-ho. But that only takes you so far. And when death is literally at your door, um, you you become different yourself and your awareness opens up. And I've always been... Um, an empath, but I used I used to call myself empathetic <laughs> because I could feel everything. It seemed like, and when that moment on my bathroom floor hit, it was like it was Jesus and me, and there was no other way. It was so evident to me that that was with him was the only way I was going to figure this out because I'd been trying to do it on my own for a long time and I was just getting sicker and sicker and sicker. So when you open the door and you firmly have him next to you every step of the way, um, I just had some mantras in my head. And I don't know, have you ever heard of Ho'opo ho, ho, Ono Ono? Have you ever heard of that? Oh. Well, it is. There's a book um, called Zero Limits by Joe Vitelli, and I'm quite a reader, and I I read five six books a, a month. Wow. And Zero Limits by Joe Vitelli um, talks about a. It's just a mantra, and that mantra is, and you're saying this to yourself as a human being. You're saying, "I love you, thank you, please forgive me, and I'm sorry." And you can say those words any way you want. I love you. Thank you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. And I'm saying it to the body, the skin suit that is Jen, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm here on this earth trying to come through this, trying to do this, trying to put one foot in front of the other and be this mom and not not have my kids raised by the sick lady and always feeling like, you know, it was they had a different upbringing because mom had this thing, even though mom was also this little powerhouse at work and, you know, really trying to teach these great, these great lessons to them. My kids 
um, were raised with, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. And that is said to me as a person, you say it to yourself, in just thanking yourself and loving yourself for being here on this earth and going through these motions, even though we know so little about why we're here and what our true purpose is and how Jesus wants to work within us, right? But if we can, that was my connection to the Lord. And I'm just praying all day long, especially when you're really trying to live, prayer becomes just what you live by, right? But this this mantra of, and I would just say, thank you for helping me, Jesus. And a lot of times I'd be thinking, I love you, I'm sorry, as I'm talking to him, because I've done so many things wrong, right? We're all sinners, and I've done yep. so many things wrong. And just wanting the connection with the Lord in every breath, because I didn't know how many breaths I had. It was just the only way. Hmm. It was great. It was, it, was, it was the moment that changed it all for me. Okay, so what, okay, you're 38, you're 88 pounds, you're right. in the bathroom. Right. What, how old are you at this point in time when you began the feeding the homeless and really learning these mantras and that, that mantra right there? What age was that? Well, that was probably about 39. So about a year and, later. Yeah, and then I got the full diagnosis at 40. And okay. then it took about, mentally, I became well immediately. I, my body just had to follow suit. And that's, that's the thing. Crazy. That's the thing about momentum is you can set it down and pick up a whole new momentum anytime you choose. Your body might not know that yet, <laughs> it's like but your brain mind, has to communicate to the body. Right, but it, I immediately, it's like the Lord said, Jen, you can eat anything you want. You just have to be synced up with me and in alignment with Jesus, yeah. and you can eat anything you want. Mm. And so I started eating anything I wanted. Now, it was only a bite or two, but those taboo, like the ice cream that sent me to the hospital, I thought I'll never be able to eat ice cream again. And I just, I remember sitting there, oh, a few months into this when I was starting to get a little better and starting to get a little better, and my belly had woken up and there were some gurgles. It wasn't just this rock that would shake in yeah. my belly. It mm. just, you know, it was amazing to just feel my body come alive again. Mm. And I thought, Lord, what do you think about a little bite of ice cream? Yeah. And it, I, he, and I, there was no like resounding feeling of don't do that. Yeah. I just thought, you know, I'm just going to sneak a little bite, maybe just a little sherbet, something, something that just might taste so good. Yeah. And I was having bites and licks and tastes of things that would normally have sent me to the hospital. And my new resounding belief system was I can eat anything I want as long as I'm in alignment with the Lord. Amen. Um, amazing. Amen. Isn't it? Right there. Yeah, truly. Wow. And 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 on the flip side of that, having a bad day, having a rough day, feeling a little disconnected from mm. the Lord. Don't eat anything that isn't on the approved food list. Don't just don't do it. Stressful conversation. Don't 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 eat it all. If if you if you're feeling like you are completely out of alignment, disconnected, the Lord's not right next to you with every step because you're just having some different thoughts mm. and not flowing love. Yep. You learn when you flow love the majority of the time, you can get well. Right? It's amazing. Yeah. I love it. That's us Huge. Okay, so you said you're 49, not me. So I <laughs> yes, I am 49. So you're 49. <laughs> you know, God's done an amazing work in your life. You are probably a different person than you were a decade ago, or not 20, even the same person. Not even the same yeah. person. You look healthy. Thanks. I mean, you look you look good, right? Thanks. What 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 what's God doing in your life today? And where are you going? Yeah. Well, you know, first thing 
I had to, when you change your life and you change your momentum and you change your health and you change your who you are and yeah. you change your belief systems and you change how you're rolling through this world, not only do you add new thinking, but sometimes you have to get the wrong people out of your life mm. that are bringing you down. So I went through some marriages and the health is hard on, yeah. on health issues are hard on marriages. And okay. when you have health issues and you have financial issues, yep. financial issues are exceptionally hard on marriages. Yep. So um, my last marriage ended during all of this. And that was like, you, you think you've hit rock bottom because you're, you think you just got to get through the health issue, mm -hmm. but then you realize you actually have to get through this marriage thing and start over again because it's, you weren't thriving. You were going to die yeah. in that relationship. Yeah. It just wasn't working, right? right? That's okay. And so so then starting all over again now, okay, you're healthier. Your relationships are – you're working that piece of it out where you're on your own. You're doing your thing. But now you have to become successful at your business again. Mm -hmm. You have to You have to not only just beat the disease that's rare and incurable, but you have to now go thrive in your financial life again and in your professional life and pick up where you left off. And so I started my own mortgage company. Yeah. It's called Strategic Mortgage Group here awesome. in Salem. Yeah. I love it so much. And I also became a financial educator with World Financial Group, yeah. WFG. Yeah. Scott Suckling's team. And I wanted to add that. Um, I always say I'm the queen of getting people into debt because that's what we do with mortgage. mortgage and yeah, we yeah. can teach you how to build wealth through property. Yeah. However, that was very one dimensional for me. It, that was not the whole, uh, there was more that I had to give. And I have to know that I'm helping in any way. I have to flow love in my industry and in my business, yeah. just like I did in my personal life. Yeah. It's the only way. Well, love. It, it's it. That's the only way. And you think about mortgage loan officers and you don't think about those people flowing love to their clients. But I did not do this before. I just worked the loans and funded the loans. Yeah. Now my heart and soul is in every transaction. And knowing that I'm also a financial educator as they are making these big decisions I now have the knowledge to help people really yeah. set up their life for generational wealth. Wow. And property is one aspect of, of that. But there's so many other aspects that I just didn't know about. I didn't have that knowledge. And, you know, it's, it's a fun adventure we go yeah. on as we live yeah. this life because we have so much knowledge that we have to gain over our adult lives yeah. to figure out who we are, do the work on ourselves. Yep. Do, do the, the work. work on our thinking. Take a really good look at the different areas of momentum that we have in our life and what's working for us and what isn't. And then be brave enough mm. to look right at what isn't working and ask a new question and step into a new behavior. It's amazing. That is amazing. Ask a new question and step into a new behavior. And though. you can just set that old momentum down. You know, you have an issue with your wife. You guys, there's this one area you can't talk about, right? right? Because every time it comes up, you feel one way, she feels another way, and it's you just don't get anywhere. Yep. Well, it's and that's just always like exists, right? And I learned that you can just set that down. You okay. can just set that down. That's, a, mar that's a marriage lesson. So yeah, you can just set that down. You don't have, You don't. You can literally let that go and simply focus on how you want it to be and spend time in your mind's eye creating how you want it to be. And every time that old momentum wants to creep in, it's just a decision to say, you know, I set that down. I'm focused over here now. It's not this big, I'm never going to say that again. No, you don't have to go there. Right. You, you just, in a very easy way, 
you're just going to set that down. And yeah. you can set that down anytime you want. Yep. And I say that that's myself all the time. You know, Jen, you're feeling some sort of way. Well, set that down. You can set that down anytime you want. You're speaking to yourself like, hey, yeah. I got I to gotta eat my own cooking. I got to take yourself my own. All day. You talk to Jesus all day, right? Yeah, right? Talk to yourself all day long. Our our perception in life is we're narrating our life to us all the time, right? The oh, time. there's so-and-so. Oh, my God, I remember to do this. Oh, don't forget to stop at the store. Oh, she just kind of looked at you weird, but I don't worry about that. Like you're narrating. You can change that voice that narration anytime you want, anytime. That's a good lesson for us to learn because we talk to ourselves more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And yeah. most of the thoughts and things we think about, I bet you are not positive. They're mostly negative. Would you uh, agree on that? Yeah, it's a commentary. And the interesting thing is, is that, you know, we think between 50 and 60,000 thoughts a day. It's crazy. And 98% right? of the thoughts that we had yesterday and last week, we're going to think today and tomorrow. And so that's why our lives and our momentum of where we're going stays very rooted. And because we're thinking the same thoughts it's we were thinking yesterday. Record, it know, is. And, but over. new questions change that. New questions change that. Yes. That's such a good takeaway. This is going to be powerful. It's going to change people. I just love it so it much. It really is. I mean, I, I see what God's in your life, and but he gave you the ability to ask a new question. God gave us that ability. Drop that block of thought right into my soul, oh. and I was able to just have the question and present the question in my mind in the most authentic, most vulnerable state. Mm. And that authenticity and that vulnerability, you know, in the business world, being vulnerable isn't really great. I've learned that being vulnerable now is my biggest gift. It's a great gift. It is. Be vulnerable. Yeah. Mm. And it's, you know, it's hard, especially if if you're a dude, being vulnerable isn't cool. Like, Yeah, guys, pay, pay attention here, guys. Being vulnerable uh, isn't cool. But the minute you become vulnerable with your wife and you just drop the resistance and you drop the dude stuff, right? Yeah, you yeah, just say... Yeah. Okay, honey, here's how I'm feeling. I love mm. you so much. This is what this is what my heart's telling me right now. Let me and th that's some great words right there. Let me tell you my heart. That is how you open the door to vulnerability. And I say that to my clients. They say, "Jen, should we lock today?" And I my and I just take a minute cuz I got the Lord right next to me yeah, every day, he's right? right? Here. And, and I, let me tell you my heart. If this was my loan, here's what I would do. And this is why. And I'm not just saying that. I'm, mm. I mean it. It's Lord. like, yeah, my soul is really involved in every breath now. It's a great thing. You're a new person. I am. Wow. This has been really inspiring. One of my favorite podcasts of all time. Wow. Well, really. this has just been, what a blessing to come yeah. talk to you today yeah. about well, this. It's funny how Scott goes, hey, you know, meet this Jennifer lady. And we should have, I mean, we know of each other, but we really don't know each other. We ran in the same circles, but yet we For never landed. In years, e yeah, we but, never land in each other's mm. lives, which is, which is interesting, isn't yeah, it? And yeah. now the moment was right. But God in his divine purpose, his love, you know, you know, Scott introduced you and I, and here we are doing a podcast and I think your your words of wisdom it it did come out of pain. Yeah. But what God has done is is transformed you and it's going to really affect people. It's going to be amazing. Well, it certainly affected me and I feel really blessed to have I wouldn't change it, you know, people say they've gone through tough stuff and they're like I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't change a thing. And I mean, I write to the toughest of tough moments where I used to have this 
this belief system that if I could just make it to morning, you Hmm. know, nights are always the worst. And if I could just, I'm usually up and I'm just waiting for daylight to to make the the windows in the house more gray instead of black. I'm just, just got to make it to daylight. And in my mind, Jesus was right there next to me. And of course we're going to make it to daylight, but it, it didn't start out that way. I was Mm. thinking I was going to make it and I can do nothing, but we, we can do it all. Yeah. And boy, you you have to set your ego down on that one because Uh you think you're living, you think you're going to, you think, well, that's what you get for thinking Mm. because it's not even about thinking. It's about feeling, it's about connecting and being in alignment alignment with the Lord. Mm. And that alignment is what moves your life forward in miraculous ways. Well, I know we're getting ready to wrap up this podcast, but I'll bet you we have another one in the next six months to a year to hear where where Jen's at? Because you go by Jen, not, Jen, yes, yeah. Jen. Where you're at, how God's working in your life. This is really inspiring, and I get to see which podcasts get the most views and and the most impact. And I I know that yours gonna have a, a great impact. If somebody wants to reach out to you, Jen, and really get to know you. I mean, you do mortgages, you do financial education. That's a really big deal. Yeah. And by the way, everybody has more uh, financial problems. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Everybody does. And and financial questions. They just don't quite know or yeah. they want an opinion or yeah. what would you do if I'm in this situation? Yeah. yeah. Just normal. So how would somebody reach out to you and just go, Hey, I've got this situation. How would they get how would they contact you to to get a hold of you. Yeah. Well, my work email address is the one I'm checking all the time. So that'd probably be the best, which okay. is Jennifer at strategic mortgage group dot com. Okay. And I can give you a cell phone number too, because I am I'm just available. I'm a responder. I'm gonna respond. You love people and yes, you're and it matters to me. My cell phone number is 503-930-2769. That's 503-930-2769. And, you know, when I was thinking about your show, I was thinking you just never know if there's a wife or an aunt or a mom or someone who is having some issues. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we all have health stuff that pops up. Early in my life, I dealt with some cancer that just about took me out. And so I, I, I became resilient to overcome health issues, but I thought I was overcoming them, right? Mm-hmm. And I can do very little compared to That's what right. I can do with the Lord. Amen. And so a lot of times, you know, men will look at the women that they care, those, those most important women in their lives and think, Something's going on, and I don't know how to help. Yeah. I'm not sure, you know. It's mm. obvious they're going through some things here, and it looks really tough. And those are those conversations that I live for, because mm. sometimes just new questions, new energy, a new way of looking at it, realizing that, okay, you've been going down this way for a long time, yeah. and you built up a lot of momentum, and you can just set that down, and let me tell you how. Uh-huh. It's huge. It's huge. I want to ask the question I ask almost everybody is, is there anything left on your heart and mind and soul that you want to share? But it feels like you have shared your mind, heart, and soul. But I'll just ask the question, is there anything that God's saying, hey, is there anything left? I mean, this is beautiful. I just kind of poured it all out there, didn't I? You did. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you left anything out. Yeah. I feel like we covered, my intent when I came here was the Lord was just going to give me the words that needed to be said today. And and I feel like we covered most things. And, you know, no, I think think we covered everything. And anything else that you might want to know, just reach out to me. Let's have the conversation. I love it. I love it. 
Well, thanks again for being on our show. Thank you for all the listeners that listen each week. We love you guys. We appreciate you. And we hope you keep listening. And really share this podcast with 100 people, not 10, but 100, 1,000. Because I think there's a big impact here that that Jen's going to have on people. Her story and how God is working in her life. And God's still at work. So thank you, and we will see you next week.